Okay, let's take our Bibles, open it to 1 Timothy 4, and we'll read from verse 6 up until verse 10. 1 Timothy 4, from verse 6 up until verse 10. This is the reading of God's Word. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. It's the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we know that one person can plant, another person can water, but only you, O oh God, can give the growth. So, Lord, please give the growth of the seed of 1 Timothy 4. Lord, when these words are sown into our hearts, that we would hear and heed, repent and believe and do. Oh, Lord, please give us clarity about sanctification, how this process of holiness looks like practically in our lives, and help us by your Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me about an excellent athlete who has won a gold medal at the Olympics. On our screens, we just see the few seconds of someone's performance, right? The few, the few seconds of the run or the high jump or the long jump or whatever the person has done. But what you don't see is the countless hours of hard, physical grueling training that went in for that person to become a good athlete. The hours of exercise by professional trainers, the specialized diet that had to be followed, the attention to their sleep and their body's recovery, and then even the focused performance on the day to be able to win. Now, it's without a doubt that without that hard training, no one would win. No athlete should ever dream, no matter how talented or naturally uh, talented they might be, to think that they could ever win without that training. In short, a good athlete requires a hard-working athlete. Now below, what we find in our text is the same idea that if you want to be spiritually successful, spiritually strong, it will require discipline, hard work, training. If you want to be a good servant of Jesus, it does not come automatically. That's the really the main point of this text is how to be a good servant of Jesus. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Is that not what you want to be? Don't you want to be a good servant of Christ, to know that your life was meaningful useful and you lived it well for the king to live for those blessed words when we stand before christ and we hear well done good and faithful servant i cannot think of a higher pursuit than that 
to hear those words, to want to hear those words, to live your life in that way. But just like good athletes, good servants are not automatic. automatic. It requires a focus on your diet and your training, your exercise. And that's what we will look at. So we've reached a section in 1 Timothy that has become intensely personal. The second person singular, you, 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 is going to be peppered from this section on. And all the commands is coming now in high rapid succession. So you'll know that's often how Paul writes his letters, right? The beginning would be doctrine, and then he would give the application of how to live. And this, it's the same here in 1 Timothy. The commands is now coming. So although it's mainly for Timothy, for a, a, a pastor or someone in leadership, you all, all of us should look at this and know this is what we all should be striving to do. Because the pastor, the, the leader, is only supposed to be the example for the rest of the flock to follow. So how may Timothy be a good servant? Well, look at six things. Serve good food, eat good food, avoid junk food, train hard, remember the reward, and set your hope on God. Okay, we're going to look at that. So no Baptist tendencies here with AAA or DDD. Okay, so you're just going to have to remember. First, the first point is serve good food. That's how Timothy is supposed to be a good servant. Look at six, um, again, the beginning. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant. So an obvious Bible study question is what? To what are the these things referring to? Now, at the very least, it refers to chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Remember that Paul says um, Timothy should beware that there's apostasy ahead. There were false teachers that were denying marriage, good food, food that God created. In, in, in essentiality, like legalism, that is sucking the life out of the church, seeing God as a stingy God instead of the good God of all physical creation. If you put those things before the brothers, before the Christians, you will be a good servant, which will lead you to a life of thanksgiving. That's how you should live your life. For every good thing, for every physical pleasure you have, you should trace it back to the source, to God. But remember, not just chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. I, I, I think also the rest of 1 Timothy. If you put these things, the whole letter of 1 Timothy before the brothers, you will be a good servant. We, a good pastor will preach the whole counsel of God. He will want the church to be healthy with all of God's word, not just some of it. And if you are to be a good servant as well, you should also crave for the good food. So the pastor should serve the good food, but the members should be, have a hunger for the whole counsel of God. That's the first way to be a good servant. Serve good food. Secondly is eat good food. Okay, It's not enough just to serve the food. Timothy himself is to be fed on the good food himself. Look at the rest of verse 6. It says, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The Greek word there for trained can be better translated as nourished. Being nourished in the words of the faith and the good doctrine. Now being nourished reminds us of what happens with a child. A child is nourished by eating good food so that a child can grow up and become healthy. And thus it reminds us also of Timothy's upbringing. Remember it was his grandmother, Lewis, and his mother, Eunice, that has brought him up, that has nourished him in the words of the faith. Timothy, as a young child, knew the scriptures, memorized key portions of the Old Testament. He was encouraged in the scriptures. 
Therefore, Philip Ryken writes this. He says, All of this shows the necessity of good teaching in the home. A good upbringing is worth years of seminary. <laughs> a good upbringing is, years, is worth years of seminary. I love that. So, beloved, we should not underestimate the power and the simplicity of educating our children, instructing our children the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. They should have the big picture of Scripture in their minds. They should memorize verses with you as a family. You should nourish your children in the words of the faith, the life-giving word of God. And so you equip them to become a good servant of Christ. Whether a pastor, missionary, doctor, um, whatever the per- your child might become. But that's only where it begins. You don't just... Start with that. The word trained and nourished is in the present tense. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, you should always be nourished. You should always eat of this good doctrine, these good words of the faith. He needs an ongoing diet of the word of God today and tomorrow. The implication of this is super simple. The good servant of Christ is always a good learner. He never stops learning. He never stops studying and meditating and applying the word of God. John Stott, wrote, John Stott wrote this. He says, behind the ministry of public teaching, there lies the discipline of private study. All the best teachers have themselves remained students. They teach well because they learn well. Now, beloved, this is a classic mistake many of us make, many pastors make. They always read the Bible for others. They study the Bible for others. They, when they read the Bible, they think of the next Facebook post or the next WhatsApp status or the next Bible study or the next sermon they need to teach. But they never just read the Bible and meditate on the Bible for their own souls. But this is an important lesson for all of us, for all of you. Don't be content with yesterday's encounter with God in His Word. Don't think that because you read through the Bible once, your job is done. The Christian life is a life which never stops devouring the Word of God as we follow Christ. So you and I, to be good, a good Christian, good servant of Christ, we need to constantly feed and eat the good food. But, but also, like good athletes, you shouldn't just do things, you should also avoid bad things. And that leads us to the third point how to be a good servant, is to avoid junk food. Avoid the junk food. Look at verse 7. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I actually like the Greek word here for um, silly or the, the irreverent, rather, is babalos. It almost sounds like our English word for babble. Just babble. Making noise, but there's no substance. It's fluff. Timothy is to avoid silly myths. These were probably like stories, traditions, pagan myths, which might sound very interesting, but they have no real basis in reality or in the Bible. Now, this is a real temptation for many Christians, but also for pastors. They get caught up in stories and possibilities and theories or some other thing that starts to swallow up all of their time, all of their attention. And before you know it, the pastor and the rest of the church is not focusing on Christ, on the words of the faith, but they're focusing on these myths, these possibilities. Let me give you a modern example, a recent example, I think, that I was tempted with, and that was during the famous or the infamous COVID times. 
During that time, I was sent WhatsApp after WhatsApp about how 5G is the real source behind the symptoms. And if these towers and Bill Gates and I don't know, there was there were so many people, so many numbers, so many. You had to be so intelligent to just be able to find all of these things. But now the only problem was these voice notes and YouTube videos was hours and hours long. You had to just go into the labyrinth of the stories and of the myths. Precious time I should have spent on the word of God, preparing my mind, helping our people think biblically about these things, could have been now distracted into this labyrinth of, of, of information. So I just made a choice during that time. Whether I was right or wrong or wise or unwise, I don't know. But this is what I said. I said, okay, whatever this thing is, whatever this COVID is, whatever its origin is, time will tell. Because it, unfortunately, sometimes conspiracy theories are true. Okay, but I just don't know. Like I'm not smart enough to figure these things out. For now, I refuse to be caught up in the waves of all the possibilities of this thing. Time will tell. God is in control and he's working it for good. I'm just going to focus on the word. Now, of course, when, when, when we are asked to sin or to stop doing what God says, then there's a line we draw there. But, but at that time, we just went on with what we were doing. So, beloved, no matter how interesting it might have been, I think it's fair to call these things junk food. These things that just swallows up all of your time, all of your energy, all of your attention, and it distracts you from Christ, from his word, from obeying him. And so Paul says, Timothy, avoid them. Avoid these. This, this is going to cause you to be sick. It's going to cause you to lose your focus. So, Timothy, rather serve good food, eat good food, and avoid the junk food. But now comes the physical aspect or the, the training aspect, which is the fourth point, is Timothy, train hard. Train hard. Look at verse 7 to 8. Have nothing to do with irreverently moves. Make a U-turn. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So the word train there is the Greek word gymnazo. You can hear what word we get there, gymnasium or gymnastics. That's where we get our English words from. And that is where uh, athletes train. So Paul is clearly thinking of training like an athlete. We should be training ourselves for godliness. And because Paul is contrasting that with bodily training. Timothy, exercise some holy sweat to get godly. Timothy, godliness simply means to grow in your fear of God and your love for God. To live with a constant re, uh, realization that you are in his presence. To become more like Christ. So rather than being the equivalent of a couch potato slummed in front of the television, Timothy is urged to be diligent at becoming more loving, more godly, gentler, purer, etc. So beloved, I want you to listen to me. I hope you were listening to me up until this point. But listen to me now, especially. This is the key to Christian growth. Diligent effort from your side to practice the spiritual disciplines, Bible intake, Bible memorization, prayer, fasting, church attendance, church fellowship, evangelism, etc etc these are the spiritual weights you need to be training your your spiritual muscles to grow strong in other words listen to me godliness is not automatic 
It doesn't come by just waiting for something to happen to you. Just as silly it would be for the athlete to sit around and wait for him to win, so the Christian should not wait and expect to be godly or holy. Look at this pattern in the Bible. It's a consistent pattern of our sanctification. Listen to 2 Peter 1 verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Do you hear the effort here? Every. Don't spare anything to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. And the list goes on. Listen, listen to Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even for someone like Timothy that was naturally gifted, remember he was a naturally gifted man, had to be training hard to keep his godliness going and to grow in godliness. You know, I think this is what happens in many Christians' lives, is they reach a level of maturity, they reach, they reach a level of godliness, and they are content with that. They, they reach a plateau, and they think, I've done my part. This is over. I'm, I'm just going to now ride this wave that I have. But it is one thing to attain godliness and it's another thing to maintain godliness. You need to, just like physical exercise, what happens if you just stop exercising? Even if you are healthy and fit, you go backwards, okay? So we have to keep on training ourselves. But another major issue here is the simple misunderstanding about how sanctification works. It is common mistake, Christians think, that to become holy you need to pray. And that's all. Lord, change me. Lord, they're waiting for the holy zap, the lightning bolt from heaven to cure them of lust, to cure them of their laziness, to free them from their sin, and then it's over. It's done. We see it often at Christian camps where you just burn your sin at the cross. It's over. You just cast your sin into the, uh, the abyss, and then you're done. You're free. And they think that sanctification is over. So what we do is we switch justification with sanctification justification is a gift of god's grace you do zero things to be holy to be righteous before god you receive it by faith as a gift from god you put your trust in god and you add nothing and it's an event it's once it's over you are as righteous today as you will be in heaven that's justification what a glorious truth right sanctification however is much different. Here, you need to put in holy sweat. You need to cooperate with God. Work out your own salvation for God works in you. You see, so there's a, a dependent discipline on God to become more godly. The Bible says, put your sins to death. Think of killing something. It's not going to be casually done. Kill your sin. Train yourself for godliness. Add much effort to your faith. But many Christians think, just let go and let God. Don't try so hard. Don't, be, don't, be dis, don't, don't have a routine with Bible reading. Don't be so structured. You are smothering the life. And it's actually the other way around, right? Now, of course, any routine can become self-righteous and pride building and those type of things. But don't make the mistake, the opposite mistake, that you are going to become godly without the discipline. Indeed, only God gives the growth, but we need to prepare the fields. We need to sow the seed and then expect God to give us the growth. Another error is this. 
the notion that if you have to train yourself, if you have to deny yourself or discipline yourself for godliness, and it is hard, it's effort, it's difficult, that something's wrong with you. So, Lord, I'm, isn't this supposed to be spontaneous? Am I not like to wake up in love with Jesus and can't wait to jump into his word? And if I don't have that, I'm evil, something's wrong with me. Again, if I can just compare an athlete. An athlete doesn't want to do the physical training, but he does it for the greater, the greater purpose. Look at how Paul talks about this in verse 10. Look at verse 10 at the beginning. He says, For to this end, to become godly, we toil and strive. Toil is sometimes translated as to become weary, to be tired, to be exhausted. And the word strive is the Greek word agonizumai, where we get the English word agonize. So this is agonizing work to become godly, to work to the point of exhaustion. I've seen this with so many Christians. At the start of their Christian life, which is right and good, they have, they're on the honeymoon phase. Everything comes naturally. They pray naturally. They study the word naturally. They evangelize naturally. Everything is just there. It's easy. Everything feels easy. But the moment they are walking with the Lord in a, in a while, they start to notice it's not that normal anymore. It's not that easy anymore. So something might, must be wrong with me. I've lost that first love, that first joy. While all along, you are just growing up. God wants to mature you, to not rely on your feelings, which change. Like the physical training, like the athlete, they don't want to jog. Your body doesn't want to feel the pain. You want to be on the couch. You want to eat the donuts. That's what you want. But to deny that, to train yourself, you do that for the bigger picture. Similarly, beloved, let me say it clearly. You will wake up most mornings and don't want to read your Bible. There will be few mornings where you, your heart is just ready to read the Bible, to, to start exercising, training yourself for godliness. But why do you do it anyway? For the goal, to become like Christ, to know Christ, to trust Him. To, even as you read, Lord, please... Take this heart that is so slow to believe and ignite it again. I love the story of a Christian that was taught to always practice the presence of God. So he always had to wait until he feels close to God before he prays. And for a while it went very well. But then one day, it doesn't matter what he did. He tried, he fasted, he, and the feelings weren't there. He didn't feel close to God. The presence of God was gone. And he talked to his friend about it. It's like, what's wrong with me? I, I just don't feel God's presence anymore. And the faithful brother replied, well, why don't you just pray by faith? <laughs> okay, I love that. That's where, we will all, that's where we will be most of the time when our feelings are not there, our emotions are not there, but we, we read by faith, we pray by faith, we train by faith. Now think of what, how do we do this? Okay, what practical things can we take away from here? So think of, again of an athlete. What is involved of becoming fit? There's a plan. What time will I wake up tomorrow? Where am I going to put my shoes that the first thing I see is my shoes and think, oh, shoes running, right? It takes repetition. You know, I've heard many Christians say, I can't memorize the Bible. My memory is bad. You know what? Um, repetition is the mother of all memory. Like you, you've memorized your ID number, 
right? <laughs> That's a long number. You can memorize the Bible. If it, if it takes you longer... That's okay. The goal is not to become, you know, Usain Bolt or whatever. It's just to make progress from where you are to where you want to be. So with you, beloved, where are you going to put your Bible to be reminded to read your Bible? Maybe put it even on top of your phone. That if the alarm goes off, you have to first take off the Bible. It's like, oh yeah, I have to first read my Bible. What verse will I memorize? What plan am I going to follow to read through my Bible in a structured way? I'm not just going to wait for the, my Bible knowledge to grow. I'm going to make a plan to grow in my Bible knowledge. Free tip, I put my Bible verses behind my cell phone. It's a see-through, cover-through thing, so I can just flip it and boom, there's the verse. Maybe you can make it your wallpaper. How will you ensure that you are going to pray, not just for yourself and your own needs, but for your pastor, for your church members, for missionaries, for countries? What plan are you going to make? Make a plan. Maybe you need a gym buddy, right? You know when the, the, the weights are too heavy, you have someone to catch you. Maybe you could ask someone to help you. Hey, ask me next Sunday if I, can, if I know this verse, this Bible verse. Now, beloved, I'm just shooting you with ideas. I, I just want to whet your appetite for the training, okay? But I hope you get the idea. Get the idea. For some of you, you haven't been training in a while, you have become spiritually obese. You are slow because you've neglected your Bible, neglected prayer, neglected the disciplines of the Christian life. You don't know when's the last verse, you, what is the last verse you've memorized, when's the last time you fasted and prayed. You don't remember those. So repent. Turn away from that. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. Make a plan. Don't go home tonight and think, I'll make a plan tomorrow. No, tonight, ask the Lord for wisdom to give you practical ideas, to give you accountability. How are you going to train yourself for godliness? Let me encourage you with verse 15. Just look at over to chapter 4, verse 15. It says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your what? Your progress, Okay. It's another big mistake that you want to compare your godliness with somebody else. Who have, but I, that person knows so much. That person has grown so much. I'm not like that person. That's not the goal. Your goal is to make progress. Don't compare yourself to other Christians. Just make a baby step forward. So pursue godliness. Now for others, so some of you, some of you might have been disciplined. Some of you might have been faithful in your spiritual disciplines, but you are deeply discouraged by them you, you are wondering is it really worth it to just keep on doing that and so we'll close with the last two points um, remember the reward remember the reward that's what he says in verse 8 he gives the reward here and he says for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come first we have to take a quick pause and say bodily training is what of some value okay it's little you know you're going to look better at your funeral or something like that but <laughs> there's still value in your physical training now again some of you might need to hear this more than the spiritual one some of you are so committed spiritually that you're neglecting your physical body no you need to physically exercise you need to watch what you eat you need to be disciplined in your sleep we are not machines that just meant to just 
churn out as much productivity as we can. You need a day off. You need a Sabbath. You need to rest. Robert Murray McShane, some of you might know him, he died at the age of 29. And because of this, he worked so hard. I think he died by that. And listen to what he himself wrote. He says, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse and now I have, cannot deliver the message. So the horse here is his body. The Lord's given him a message and he's given him a horse. He's killed the horse. <laughs> And sometimes Christians do that, like they just neglect their bodies, they kill the horse, and then you can do nothing. You can't memorize of a dead body. Okay? You, you need a body, you need a healthy body to be able to do any spiritual disciplines. And you also know the close connection between your body and your soul. When I've slept better, the fruit of the Spirit is just much, much betterly grown, right? I'm just much more patient. But however, what's the point? For a little while. The idea there is of some value. It's really the idea of it's only temporary. It's only on this side of eternity. But, verse 8 says, godliness is of value in all ways or every ways as it holds promise for the present life, also for the life to come. Godliness is valuable now on this side of eternity. It gives you true joy, true peace, intimacy with God. It helps you in your suffering when you're on the sickbed. It gives you words of comfort for people that are going through suffering. But it also goes beyond the grave. It goes on forever. Godliness is something you can take with you. Yes, you'll be made perfect and without sin when you go to, to heaven, but the, depending on your discipline and your godliness on this side of eternity will depend on how much joy you will have on the other side. The Bible teaches there are different rewards for those who are more disciplined. And that should encourage us to pursue Christ, to have him more, to know him more. So the last thing, the last encouragement is set your hope on God. Set your hope on God. Verse 10, it says, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Our God is not a dead God. Your hope is not dead. It's on the living God who loves you far more than you can ever dare to dream. So as we discipline ourselves for godliness, our eyes are turned to Christ who will ensure that we will succeed, that we will make it. Our hope is that we are not our own savior. So even in our discipline, we're not trying to become righteous or to save ourselves, but we have a living God who is a living savior who saved us from all our sins. And then even as we fail and fall seven times a day, we can look and hope on God to pick us up. He is faithful. I love this resolution from Jonathan Edwards. He said, Resolve never to give up or in the least to slacken my fight against my own corruptions, no matter how unsuccessful I might be. Sometimes we're just un unsuccessful at trying, but that's, our hope is not on our discipline. Our hope is on God, who is our Savior. We, we love Him because He first loved us. You see, He didn't love you because you were disciplined. He loved you even in your sin while you were His enemy. So how much more committed to your holiness is God than you? He wants you to succeed. He is for you. Who can be against you? Like a farmer who toils and strives but yet looks up to God for the growth and the harvest. So we, we toil and strive. We sow the seeds. We discipline ourselves. And we look up to God to give us the growth. 
to change our hearts. If God is this good, if he is so gracious to send his only son to satisfy the wrath of God on the cross, why will he not help you in your discipline? Why should you give up? Listen, he's so good. The text says he's not just the savior of believers. What does it say? He's the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, what that does not mean is that all people will be going to heaven. We know Paul was no universalist. Jesus himself spoke more about hell than about heaven because there are many people going there. Another view is the word especially could be translated as to be clear or that is. So it would be God is the savior of all people. That is those who believe. Now there are many more. I'm just going to give you the one I think is the best. And we'll probably go in there with growth group as well. But another view which I prefer is that this view, God is the savior of all people in a temporary sense. But he's the savior of believers in an eternal special sense. God saves unbelievers by letting the sun shine on them. You see, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve his mercy, his reign. He loves even the people that reject him. But there's a special love he has for his church. He has for his bride. How he cares for her. You see, the promise, all things work together for good, is not for all people. It's for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the point is this. If this God is even good to those who hate him, if he's even merciful and gracious to people that constantly reject him, how much more will he not be gracious to you, whom he has chosen, whom he has adopted? He will surely help you. Beloved, do you believe that? Do you have this hope? Despite your feelings, this hope is real. You can say like the psalmist like this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. O Father, we thank you for your word and Thank you that you are for us, that we can set our hope on you. The good work you began, you will complete. And you work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. O Lord, help us then to work out our own salvation, to be diligent and disciplined in our spiritual disciplines. Lord, I realize how easy it can be to just be crushed under the burden and the weight of all the things we ought to do for you and to grow. But I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts, that we would just seek to make progress, not to be perfect, and that we would strive and toil, Lord, even if we are exhausted, even if we do feel like this is difficult, that we would embrace it for the greater goal of becoming more like Christ. Teach us how this looks like, Lord, practically in our lives by your Spirit, and help us as well um, as a church and as Christians to carry one another's burdens as we run the race set before us. We pray these things for your namesake, Lord. Amen.